Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. It's a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Or just send us an email, radio at agphd.com, if you've got any questions. So it is a Farmer Friday, and just thinking about our own farm here, I am super excited because we're putting not many acres, but just a handful of acres of corn in the ground today. And a lot of people are going to say, well, it's too cold to plant. No, it's not too cold to plant. That part doesn't worry me at all. The only thing is we got to have the ground fit and there's still a little bit of frost coming out in a lot of spots and it's just it's a little on the wet side so we're just doing enough just to get stuff started and uh, at least get the planters operational that's really about all we're going to be able to do but I've been talking to a lot of agronomists just telling them hey this next these next few days here when these nighttime temps are getting down in the 20s this is a great time to finish up some of those last spring jobs get some spraying done fertilizer spreading some tiling manure hauling all those things when the ground is frozen in the mornings thawing in the afternoons that's a fantastic time to be out there on those mornings so I know that's what we're going to be working on here over the next few days, too, while we're waiting for the rest of our ground or most of our ground to get fit to plant. But, yeah, today's the first date for crop insurance in our region, April 10th. So I am happy that we're going to at least have a few kernels of corn in the ground. Darren, you got anything to open the show today? Well, you're absolutely right about needing to get those planters in a field running. And for me, that's one of those things where everything looks good in the shop, and you think you've got everything, and you're sick of walking around that machine. But once you get it out in the field, you really find out, okay, is it working? And now, for all the guys that I talk to through the year, I, I keep saying, get out of the tractor more often, get out of the tractor, get behind it, do do more digging. I, more guys that I talk to say, well, I'm not doing as much as I should with that. Well, today is one of those days where you absolutely could because, you know what, it's really early, you're only doing a few acres, and you're just trying to find out if the machine's working well. So check the depth on every row all the way across the planter. Check what kind of seed furrow that you're you're getting. Take a look at every moving part on that thing and make sure it's working out just fine. And if it's not, you still have time to get them replaced before you put a majority of your acres in. And then the last thing I'd say when you make the comment, I'm not scared about the cold weather. I would say this, you're not scared because we are prepared. We're treating that seed differently. We've got a lot of seed treatment on there. We've got different in-furrow treatments. We've been talking about them all spring. And even through the winter, we were talking about this quite a bit. So it's kind of a hot topic this year. But if you're doing all those steps and your field conditions are fit and you're past the crop insurance date, yeah, go for it. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a second here. Before we do, I was just going to say I literally just heard the president in the United States, Trump, talk about how he was talking to Sonny Perdue and said, hey, you've got a bunch of money. We want to get it out to farmers. And so there is going to be more help on the way for farmers in the United States. Obviously, the whole COVID deal has really hurt the ethanol market. Now, I... 
strongly believe we're going to see a rebound in everything that we have once the economy opens back up again, probably in a couple of months. But in the meantime, it's tough times. And we've got corn that we haven't sold yet from last year, too. The, The one good thing I would say is the I don't believe any of the reports talking about acres or yield from last year with corn. I think it was way overstated, and I think it was going to be August this year by the time they the government came around and said, oh, yeah, I guess we didn't have near as many acres planted, and there are way fewer bushels. So at least we're coming off a horrible crop year where soybean production and corn production were way down. So that's the one good thing, at least. We're not sitting on crazy amounts of stockpiles. But anyway, hopefully things will get back to normal soon. But in the meantime, it does look like there's going to be more help on the way for U.S. farmers from the government. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, first question. This one comes from Zach in Pennsylvania. He says, I've got 32% or 28%, um, and he's got a new corn planter that he switched to liquid. How far away from the seed should he put 30 units of liquid nitrogen down with the planter and not have to worry about root damage? Darren, go ahead. Two inches. Two inches to the side, two inches above, two inches below. I'd be comfortable with that. 30 pounds on average, medium average soils. Yep. Yeah, I I can't sit here and say that I'm super worried about it. All right. Uh, Next one comes from Wes in Wisconsin. He says, hi, guys. I'm a truck driver, and I listen to you pretty regularly and enjoy the show. Got a question about tiling the soccer field at our children's school. There's a wet hole, which is basically in the center of the field. There's a lower ditch to drain to. What are your thoughts on tiling this field, such as, like, depth? Should we put gravel down around the tile? What do you think? We're planning on getting a trencher. Will this work? Yeah, I don't see why not. It's it's interesting as you travel around the country, you see some towns and schools that just consistently have water problems around athletic fields. And then you see others that seemingly should be in a worse spot. They're right in the bottom of a valley and they have no problems. And when you do a little investigation, you find out, oh, they've got it drain tiled. You know, you look at your home, you tile right around your home. That's what runs into your sump pump. And you've got grass and you've got landscaping and you've got plants around, but how deep are those tile lines? And often, in many cases, you're looking at four to eight feet deep where you've got your drain tile right around your house. So I think in something where you're going to have perennial grasses growing, you probably just want to be a little deeper. That would be my thought. Yeah, I don't love doing it with a trencher. I would prefer to have a tile plow. I just think that does a better job. Can you put some gravel around it? Yes, that would help a little bit. But, I mean, you can do the trencher if you want to. Anyway, uh, my concern is if there's a hole in the middle of the field, personally, I I would just say you might want to build that up. All fields should have some natural drainage. That's why they've got that crown in the middle of the field. So the tile would be good, but I'd also get some more dirt out there if it was me. All right, we'll get back to your questions right after this. It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. 
When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ideal for herbicide applications, the ultra-low drifts large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren broadcasting today from the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the phone lines right now. we got Dean calling in from down in Mississippi. Dean, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you? Excellent. So what's happening in your farm right now? Oh, we're just watching dirt dry at the moment. Got uh, about two inches of rain over the last couple of days, so we're pretty bad wet, but that's we're we're not late yet, so it's not we're not in no bind yet. So, are you, what crop would you be planting right now if you were dry enough? Oh, corn. Yeah, we would be we would be wide open on corn. We're about ten days from being optimum planting time on our soybeans, kind of what we figure. But uh, so, do yeah, you? Ha- we would be trying to get some corn in. Sure. Do you have some crop planted already? No, I did not. There are some, there's a, I know of two guys around here that did get some in, but I didn't get any in. I got this cover crop bug going and, and it, it slowed me down a little bit, which now with all the rain, we're supposed to get a bunch more rain this weekend again. So I'm not sure if I'm glad I don't have any in or if I wish I had some in. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> yep. I, I, I hear you on that. Uh, we run into those same kind of questions all the time. It's like, well, do we want it in do we not i just like i do know this i like getting done <laughs> that makes me feel good most of the time so usually exactly. we err on the side of i would prefer to plant but yeah you just never know so let me ask you this with what's happened with the corn market here in the last month is that changing your thoughts on how many acres of corn you're going to put in or is your plan kind of still the same as it was earlier this winter well it's mostly the same it might change it just a little bit but i did have a uh, I was about sixty-five uh, percent uh, booked at right at four fifty. Um, I some of it for harvest delivery and some of it for after the first of the year, and then I have a basis contract that's pretty decent. 
that I'm just sitting on waiting to see what happens with it. Oh, yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, with the, but with the markets, not really affecting my corn side nearly as much right now. I <clears throat> hiding and watching on the soybeans. I didn't book any soybeans. And so I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yep. That's for sure. Probably I mean, not going to plant any more corn. If anything, it might be a little bit less, but sure. So sure. far still sticking to the original plan. Yeah, with China supposedly going to buy a whole bunch of U.S. soybeans, you never know. Maybe we'll see some increase in the soybean market here over the next few months. Yep, it's really hard to know. So what else is kind of on your mind today, Dean, on the farm, other than, hey, things are too wet right now? Oh, I don't know. Um, So I've been wondering, I've got 100 acres here of uh, cover crop that I've left that I want want to plant corn in, and they talk about the green bridge. Do I put an insecticide in whenever I spray that cover crop in front, of, right in front of or right behind the planter or not? Well, with that green bridge, yeah, we talk about that quite often. You know, when you go from crop to crop, and in this case it's cover crop to crop, then it's nice to have that ground black basically have everything dead out there for at least a week if not two yeah insects is one of the things the next thing is disease so we do see a little more incidence of both disease and insects if you go right into that but that's not to say that it's going to be a disaster not to say that it's going to be terrible or anything like that so i'd put it this way if you're out in your cover crops and you see a bunch of insects that could potentially hurt your corn like let's say just for example it was grasshoppers or or cutworms or something else, well, then, yes, I would throw an insecticide in and only cost a couple of bucks. But otherwise, I don't think I'd be that worried about it. I'd just make sure that I'm paying attention to that corn a little bit later on and spraying some fungicide. I mean, undoubtedly, you're going to have seed treatment fungicide on there. So I don't know. I don't think I'd get Absolutely. tremendously worried and about it, but you can certainly scout. You're putting some in furrow? In furrow and insecticide in furrow. Yep. Also. And so we... The the seed the seed is covered. It's just whenever that whenever you transfer from below the ground to above the ground, they got right. that little tender green shoot there and yep. everything else is dying. That that bug's gonna go, you know, look at all this nice greenery. Yep. But like I say, the good news is insecticides are really inexpensive. So as long as you keep scouting, worst case scenario, you'd have to go out there and spend two dollars worth of insecticide. Exactly. Throw it in with my Roundup spraying whenever yep. I burn it down. Yep, that's right. All right. Well, hey, Dean, thanks yeah. a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Hope things dry out for you and you can get the crop planted. Yeah, we hope so, too. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right, let's go next to Jerry. He's calling from up in North Dakota. Hey, Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm near North Dakota. I'm actually in Montana. Oh, okay. You bet. So yeah. how, how are things out your way? Is the snow gone now? Uh, where we are, we're in central uh, eastern Montana, so about uh, middle middle of the state, north and south. So snow's gone here, and I'd say uh, this next week we'll probably see some field operations here. Oh, good. Good deal. So in terms of getting out there and, you say, field operations, just uh, tilling, spraying, fertilizer spreading, that kind of stuff, I assume? Yeah, we're, we're a no-till here, so oh, okay. it would be... Uh, if we were in the field, we'd be planting. We we do uh, late fall spraying, yep. so we start start clean that way, and so we can get out and plant early. 
And then typically most fields yet uh, will do a pre-emerge uh, burn down as well. Sure, you bet. So what crops do you raise in the farm? Uh, this year it'll probably be spring wheat, lentils, uh, field peas, yellow peas, and a little bit of corn. Yep, so you got some good diversity there. So is there anything you dropped from last year? Because you said this year I'll raise these crops. Were, were there any different ones you raised last year or the year before? Uh, not from last year, but typically we have chickpeas in our rotation too. And last year we didn't plant them just because the market has been pretty terrible. And and uh, we just decided not to not to go with them. You tend to you can get a lot more money tied up in fungicides and more disease challenges with them. And sure. without the financial reward potentially being there, we just decided to yeah. set them on the sideline. Yep, yep, understandable. So you said you're going to raise some lentils and peas. We don't talk about those two crops real often on the show here. Give us just maybe one or two things that kind of stand out to you for lentils and peas for raising a good crop. Well, clean fields is a big thing. Uh, yep. We don't have a lot of weed control options in them because, you yep. know, obviously all the broadleaf killers will kill them as well. And they're relatively small acreage crops, so there hasn't been a lot of money spent by the chemical companies developing uh, different herbicides. So, so um, trying to use your cleanest fields, and, and we typically try and keep all our fields clean that way try after harvest not let things go to seed and, and uh, especially important with them when we get in and seed to to uh, watch for emergence so we can get in with our pre-emerge burn down because that's about our last chance at some of the weeds you, you have good grassy control options with those crops but not broadleafs and so so if you can let them get at least get a good start before you start getting some more weed flushes it uh, it's a big advantage how about any disease issues in the lentils and peas? A lot of guys end up talking about that, so they use more seed treatment and uh, just trying to control those kind of things. Well, seed treats important fungus fungicide uh, you know on your seed in the very early years. Well, we started raising them twenty years ago or so, I guess, and and in those earlier years we didn't use a seed treat or anything, but. Peas especially are probably more susceptible to root rot and that. So uh, the last quite a few years we've been using a fungicide and then also a insecticide just uh, for wireworm issues. Yeah, the wireworm thing seems to be a big issue with a lot of farmers really around the United States and Canada. But I, I end up surprisingly talking to almost more farmers in Montana about wireworms, uh, you know, than any other issue out there. So, yeah, wireworms can really be a big deal. Well, hey, Jerry, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it and want to wish you the best of luck here as we go into the spring. Well, thank you. Good visiting with you. You bet. Thanks a lot. All right, again, it's a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of your phone calls.
Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your cornhead handle it? The GTS X10 cornhead from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US. This is a seed bag. This bag is made of craft paper with a cellophane liner and provides nothing for seed growth. This is a seed bed. It was prepared with Case IH soil management tools. It optimizes everything from nutrient access to water infiltration to create the perfect environment for early uniform emergence. Get to know why your seed bed drives productivity at caseih.com slash soil management. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on Ag PhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren, broadcasting today from the Morton studio. Going to jump right back to the phone lines here on a Farmer Friday. we got Matt calling in from down in Kentucky. Hey, Matt, what's happening on your farm today? Planting here. Uh, we've got, uh, we planted a little bit of early beans this year to try, some, try our test on planting beans before corn. Uh, we've had a few other neighbors try that, and it's done well for them, so we're giving it a try on our farm this year. And uh, also working on doing a few test plots. We've got uh, two different seed companies coming out this, this coming week to put out some. Uh, one will be a, a variety plot, and then the other mm -hmm. plot will be a, 
uh, plot testing different populations on two different varieties of corn. We'll split the planter between two popula- or two varieties and test everywhere from 22,000 to 38,000 seed population. 22 up to 38. That sounds almost exactly like our farm. I We have some sandy spots that are non-irrigated and spots out in fields, and we will cut it back clear down to 22 in those spots, and we'll go about as high as well, roughly 38, 40,000 in our very, very, very best spots. So it'll be interesting to see how your population thing turns out. For us, it varies a lot depending on the year. So if we get the right year, all of a sudden the high population looks pretty good. If we if we get a bad year, if it's a drought year, that lower population usually turns out pretty well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, we're, we'll be interested to see what kind of results we get with it. Uh, uh, working with the agronomists with the seed company we're working with there, their 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 plot is aimed at uh, showing that with their corn at least you may not have to plant as high of a population as you typically yep. would to get the same yield results. They're trying to show that, you know, 28,000, 26,000 will keep up with a 32, 34,000 uh, and save you a little bit on seed cost. What's the yield goal? What, what are you going for? Uh, well, last year our farm average was about 215. So okay. um, now the tests, we did this same test last year with them with two different, we're going to change the varieties this year, but uh, I think the plot averaged around 230 or so. Sure. If I remember right. So what was the best population for you last year? What gave you the most yield? Uh, last year in the plot, if I, I'm trying to remember to be exactly right, but I want to say that like 30,000, I want to say 28 and 30,000, basically it depends on which variety you're talking about. One variety yep. did better at one and the other did best sure. at the other. Yeah. Uh, but typically we're planting at 34 on the farm on most of our stuff. So. Sure. Uh, they're showing that we don't have to put up quite that much. Yeah, this is one of the things we've been talking about quite a bit in the last three, four years probably. Roughly it's that 7 to 10 kind of range per thousand. So, for example, if it was 30,000 for simple math, that's a range of 210 to 300 bushels. And what we often will say is, look, if you're averaging like you 215 and you're planting over 30, well, now you're under 7 bushels per thousand. And so we would probably want to look at Hey, is it? Are there more things that can be done to keep bumping the yield? Because we don't feel like the population now is your yield limiting factor. It's probably something else, whether that's fertility or drainage or you know who knows. We got to figure that out. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm I'm in agreement with that company. We're we're in that seven to ten bushel kind of range, and boy, if we're getting lower yields than that, we are cutting our planting populations, and it's not hurting us at all. Uh, I had a question for you on those early beans you planted. Are you are you going to to earlier day maturing beans, later maturing beans? I mean, what are you after? Uh, well, what we're trying to, well, I, mean, I guess our goal, anybody's goal is a higher yield, but uh, yep. what we're doing, instead of planting all our corn first and then planting our beans after that, yeah. uh, the, you know, some of the companies in our area is showing if you plant all your beans first and then plant your corn after, you know, just reverse the operation yep. that we've always done, Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll get a higher yield out of both. So uh, we took our earliest variety of beans, which is a 3.5 maturity group, and uh, planted half the field first before starting our corn planting, and then we'll come back in a week and a half, two weeks, depending on weather, and uh, plant it at the time we typically would have planted that field after sure. our corn's completed. Yeah. 
And uh, we're just going to look at side by side in the same field on the same variety. Are we seeing any yield difference yeah. with the earlier planting date versus later? Yeah. I know in the northern United States, we don't really like to do that because what ends up happening to us up here is our corn yields drop off so much more than our bean yields drop off when we get late planting. We just don't have very many days we can plant. That gets to be our whole issue. So, right. but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying early beans is bad. I, I'd like to plant everything early. I, I'm all in favor of that. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. been pretty well proven. You can do quite well with that. Well, hey, uh, right. hey Matt, we got to get running, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it, and best of luck to you this spring. Yeah, you too. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. All right, let's go next over to the state of Minnesota. We got Chris calling in from over there. Hey, Chris, how are things for you today? Oh, they're not going too bad. How are you guys? Doing good. So are you getting anywhere near planting? Are you able to do some stuff out in the fields yet? Uh, You know, we're located about nine miles north of Olivia, and we're... Uh, it looks dry, but when you get the sun the right direction, you can definitely see those pockets. So, <laughs> yep. um, looking at the forecast, you kind of you kind of thought things might break loose here next week, but I, I'm not sure on that. Yeah, it's almost identical for us. I I really thought earlier this week, especially Monday, Tuesday, we were we were very warm and it was windy and everything. And I thought, oh yeah, we're going to be able to go by Friday for sure. And then every day, it's like these little spots keep popping up where it's kind of wet. So it just tells you the frost is coming out yet. But uh, yeah, it looks like we're going to have another week of cold weather, and that's just kind of the way it goes. So um, I- I- any thoughts as you go into the spring here on like acres or anything else with the markets the way they are today? Um, I've been hearing, I have a seed business as well, and I've been hearing about, um, um, you know, some reductions in the corn, in the corn acres, just because obviously looking at markets, you can't justify putting corn in the ground. Yeah. Especially if we're going to really have demand destruction over a period of time here from ethanol. Yep. Um, so I mean, that, that definitely hurts. So I, I would say we're seeing a shift to more soybeans, um, on those acres that could have kind of gone either way. Yeah, that's kind of what we've been hearing uh, really around the United States at least. So not a, a big shift at this point, but they came out with this 97 million acre corn production uh, number. And I'm going, uh, yeah, there's no way we're going to get to 97 million acres. I think 90, 92, somewhere in there. We'll see. I think there will be enough acres that switch out. But you never know. We'll see how the how the whole spring goes. So I, I assume in your area you had some prevent plant last year. I, I mean, at least it looks much better at this point this year than it did at this point last year, right? Yeah, personally, I had about 10% of my acres prevent plant. Um, we finished planting around June 6th mm. and um, you know some of that later planted corn actually did pretty decent but it definitely got questionable after after about the first first of June yeah uh, we had a field of soybeans that we planted part of and couldn't get back in for another 14 15 days and there was about a 17 bushel yield difference with the same variety so um, I mean planting dates are definitely crucial you guys know that um, but we're, you know, we're probably, uh, we're set up much better this spring than we were last, uh, just from a standpoint of all the tillage got done last fall. Um, you know, fields look in pretty good shape. I talked to the guys out West and you've probably talked to quite a number and then the Dakotas and even a guy in Wisconsin yesterday, 
Um, they don't know what they're going to do with the stuff that isn't, hasn't been tilled last fall and also stuff they're harvesting now this spring is really uh, really going to be questionable. So I don't think it's going to be real hard to convince guys to prevent plant this year if they have the opportunity because of how this uh, last year played out. So I'm, I'm sure more people wish they would have PP'd while they had the chance. Yeah, it's just so hard to know. Every year is a lot different. And I know I agree with you 100%. I've talked to a lot of guys this winter that said, hey, if I get the chance this year, I'm going to take the prevent plant. Well, who knows? It might be 10 more years before we have that come up again. I'm certainly hoping we have a dry spring. We'll see how it goes. I'd rather farm than not farm. I know that much, Chris. Well, hey, uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. And uh, hope things turn out great for you this year. Yeah, you guys take care and be safe and have a have a happy Easter. Yeah, thank you. Happy Easter. All right, it's a Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. We'll get right back to your phone calls and questions after this. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing yields in the fall. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer who is tired of seeing poor stands because of uneven emergence, the Germinator is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. For more information, visit us at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, 
fuel, the able to reduce our fertilizer side. So it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to send us an email, it's radio at agphd.com, or our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can certainly call in. That's what Jeff did from down in Oklahoma. Hey, Jeff, how are things going for you today? Doing great. How are you? Excellent. So what's happening on your farm right now in Oklahoma? Uh, prepping for wheat harvest. So um, we've just gotten done with our second uh, dose of fungicide on our winter wheat. Yep. And uh, insecticide treatment with that, and things are looking looking great right now. So hopefully Mother Nature has some patience with us, and we can bring off a wonderful crop. So when do you usually start wheat harvest? So typically, my long-term start date is going to be about June 12th to okay. 14th. Yep. Um, we are way early this year. We're full flag leaf out. We've got... Uh, um, some that is is uh, in the boot or starting to break the boot. So we're two to two and a half weeks early this year. And so we're kind of looking at a, possibly an end of May unless we get, you know, cooled off with weather and it slows things down. So we're, we're advanced on our crop right now. So why so early? Did you plant earlier last fall? Has it just been warmer last fall and this spring? Or, or what's leading to all this? Um, don't really know. Um, so this is about the, if, if it does happen to be a May harvest, this will be about the third one of my career. Um, so it does not happen very often, but for for whatever reason, I mean, we had a fairly mild winter, but even on, on wheat that we grazed this winter with uh, stalker cattle is at that advanced stage as well. So it's just kind of a, a fluke of nature that we're running so early this year. Awesome. So the, you, you mentioned you were out spraying fungicide and insecticide. What bugs were you after? So we've got some green bugs and bird cherry oat aphids. Yep. And I'm a, I'm a low-tolerance guy. So, you know, we, we went with the fungicide insecticide shot adjoining just to try to keep that plant health clean and uh, came back out. We're seeing a um, little bit of rust infestation Um other areas south of me, I'm up near the Kansas border. South of me, there's some more rust uh, showing up. So um, it's something I do every year, just try to, you know, maintain my uh, test weight and everything like that. I'm, I market to flour mills. I, I don't utilize our local co-op system. So I'm, I've got on-farm storage, which is rare down here. And uh, we we try to, to hit that milling and baking market. So we want to keep that, that crop super clean. Um, our fertility rates and things like that so that we have good test weight, good protein levels. Yeah, nice. So when you talk about the fertility side, I mean, obviously everybody talks about nitrogen and you got to have ample nitrogen to have good protein and everything else. But what else is a key for you besides nitrogen? So up front, um, we, we run about 60 pounds of anhydrous ammonia uh, pre-plant. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then as we're seeding, we run... Um, 60 pounds of um, either an 11520 or a 40 rock product, something like that. So we, we, we try to keep that phosphate fertility up there. And, and uh, you know, if we're, if we're running 40 rock or, or mez, um, you know, that little bit of sulfur helps there in the fall. Yep. 
and then we do our primary fertilization in the spring. So we'll come in first of February and uh, put down another top dress uh, at that point, and uh, then our second top dress we we try to hit that you know at at joining her right after, and we'll come in then with anywhere from forty to sixty pounds of nitrogen and twenty pounds of sulfur. Sure. Um, we're also on a on a uh, program. We've got our fields broke into thirds. That we're we're doing a third of our acres with a hundred pounds of uh, potash, double O sixty every year. So we're ro- rotating through. So everything every three years gets a hundred pounds of potash. Oh, okay. I, how how did you decide going to thirds? That's I mean that's an interesting concept. Uh, it's it's just how it breaks out on on acreage. So you don't break the bank trying to you know put <laughs> put down all your phosphate at, at once. And so yep. Um, we just kind of break up our, our acreage into thirds to do that with, and we're on that same rotation um, with lime. Try to keep my uh, pH between a five eight and a six two. So we're we're reliming fields if they need them every third to fourth year. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's good that you're keeping up on that. That pH thing is really huge, and obviously in Oklahoma we got a lot of challenges there. Many times that pH can drop awfully low, so I'm glad you're 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 staying on top of that thing. Well, hey Jeff, it's been great talking to you today. Really appreciate it, and and uh, hope everything goes good with harvest and all that coming up. Yes, sir. Hopefully we don't have to drag a bulldozer with us everywhere we go to harvest like we did last year. Wait, you had to drag a bulldozer with you for, for what? It was it was, was so wet last year, uh, we would unhook a grain trailer and tie on to a low boy with a bulldozer and haul a bulldozer with us to every field because we were getting stuck so much. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that, so that doesn't sound like fun. We, no, we had great yields last year. Um we, we had wheat go as high as 93 bushels per acre, which is awesome down yeah. here in the southern plains. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, it was a definite challenge to get it out. Hmm. Well, hopefully this spring is relatively dry for you and you don't have to go through that issue. <laughs> we will keep our fingers crossed on that one. All right. Sounds good. Great talking to you, Jeff. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. All right, I'm going to bring Darren back on here. We want to jump back into the Ag PhD mailbag. Next question comes from Nick. He says, good afternoon. I'm trying to find a corn seed treatment to help with my nematode problem. Are there any on the market that have proven results? I've heard there are not really any out there that are effective in corn. Uh, Anyway, go ahead, Darren. You know, there's been a lot of things that have come out over the last few years, and Monsanto was really pushing Nema Strike, and they had some handling issues there. Valence got one called Aveo. That the the data looks pretty good. In fact, we're going to do some more trial work on that particular one this summer, and we're looking at it in corn and in soybeans. The handling on it has been really nice; been a real easy product to mix. So at the seed plant, uh, seed plant guys love it. it. It works really well that way. The challenge on these nematode treatments, Brian, is just we don't know where exactly the nematode pockets are in the field in most cases, and it's not even across the whole field. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of the sudden death syndrome discussion and soybean cyst nematode discussion that, man, if we could just turn this on and off as it went through the field, that would be great. But when you treat the seed, you're treating every single acre. So yeah, I would do some trial work on some of these different treatments and see what works for you. Okay. So Darren mentioned Aveo. That is a biological, as is Votivo. There's also BioST. Now you've also got from 
Syngenta, they have Evicta if you wanted to use that. And then certainly you could go out there, instead of using one of these seed treatment products, you could use counter insecticide. Now, years ago, I, I mean, this is over 30 years ago when I was a I was still in college, even and interning and stuff. I was down in Nebraska quite a bit, and I, I was working for FMC, and we sold a lot of furidan back then in Nebraska for nematode control, and it was super effective. Counter is also very effective on many different nematodes. So I, I would just tell you, you don't have to treat the seed, but you certainly can if you want to. But Darren's exactly right. We see the corn nematode thing, maybe not quite as bad as soybean nematode thing in terms of being in pockets, but they are both in pockets. And so if you could target those areas, and that's why I just brought up the insecticide you could put out there like counter. You could make a variable rate map if you wanted to. So if you say, hey, there are some areas really getting hammered in my field, just put the insecticide in those areas and don't spend the money in the other places. But yes, there are certainly nematicides out there that are pretty effective. Okay, uh, let's see. Next one here. All right, this is just a comment. And let's see, from Melly, who says, My mother and father had a huge problem with Johnson grass in their land. I know you guys have talked about Johnson grass. Here's what they did. They ended up having a neighbor plow up the infested field. Then they fenced their pigs into it, and the pigs rooted out all the the runners to the Johnson grass, and that solved our Johnson grass problem. <laughs> well, look, if you can do that, that's great. I would love to have Johnson grass eliminated. It absolutely is a tough one. I uh, unfortunately am not going to say that everybody's going to be able to turn their pigs out on it and first plow up the field. But yeah, we're seeing more resistance with Johnson grass, especially like to the ALS herbicides, even some Roundup resistance. So there are grass killers out there that can kill Johnson grass. But yeah, sometimes it takes tillage as well to kind of finish that thing off. All right, we'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines. Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. 
This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no-excuse modes of action. Zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you'd like to call in, though, get a little bit of time yet today, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Darren, I got a kick out of this one. Uh, let's see, it comes from Jeff, and he says, can you answer my question when you get a chance? I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> He goes, hi, can I use Oracle uh, pre-emerge on corn for deer and pheasant food plots? And if so, what rate? Uh, And basically, I have the same question post-emerge. Now, what Oracle is, that's just generic dicamba. So, Darren, do you want to talk about that for use on corn, pre and post? Oh, let's see. Did I not get Darren back? Uh, Darren, we... There we you got go. you now. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So you want to answer okay. that well, question pre and post on pre- corn? Yeah, you can use it pre and post on corn. If you're going to plant other crops in there, though, uh, there's going to be a lot of crops susceptible to dicamba. So a lot of times when we get into these food plot situations, we've got multiple crops out there. So do be careful what other crops you've got. But uh, as far as corn goes, you can use it pre-emerge. It's going to have a small amount of residual control. And you can use it post-emerge, and it would have a small amount of residual corn residual control. Uh, in terms of not hurting yield potential, you need to spray that out by the time your corn's got about five leaves on it because that's the point where the growing point is still safely below ground, but after that it's going to be above ground and you can damage that corn. So you want to be careful about that. And then the other thing I would just mention is there are other products that you could use. I would recommend something like Outlook, for example, that's safe on multiple crops, or Metolachlor that's safe on multiple crops. It doesn't have burndown activity, but you could mix it with that dicamba when you put it out there, and that's going to give you control of weeds that will pop up later. And I think one of the big things with a lot of these uh, wildlife plots is we want to put some weed control down because we want to have enough good food out there for the for the wildlife, but we don't want to be out there like every two weeks scouting and, and all these kinds of things. So putting something out that has more residual to me makes a lot of sense. All right. Next one. Let's see. It comes from Gary and he says, hello from Wyoming. I have heard discussion regarding a soybean aphicide. So a product that kills soybean aphids, which is said to be effective also on spotted aphids. I didn't catch the product name. Could you please mention the name 
of any product that might kill spotted aphids. So, uh, Gary, I would just say, yeah, there are quite a few products out there. The, the newest ones that are pretty specific to aphids, Transform from Corteva and Safina from BSF. Now, with BSF, they have several names for the same thing. So Versus is one of them, Safina is one of them, but it's the same stuff. They just label it in different crops. But you can check that out. Those are, are both pretty good, and they are pretty easy on the beneficials. Now, you could certainly use one of the old products that have been out on the market for a long time, the pyrethroids are okay, but otherwise there's chlorpyrifos, and that typically is going to be quite a bit better on aphids than what the pyrethroids are. All right, next question comes from Russell. He says, where can I purchase prepare herbicide at the 2 to $3 per acre cost referenced on your TV show? My supplier doesn't carry this product. I'm from central Minnesota. Russell, there are plenty of retailers out there as you go west. The whole thing is prepare is a wheat herbicide for pre-emerge use. And yes, it does only cost 2 to 3 bucks an acre. There are lots of retailers that carry it in, let's say, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, as you go west. There aren't and, and nearly North, as many right. in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, good point. To get up into wheat country. Yeah, good point. The The challenge is when you say northern Minnesota, most of northern Minnesota is trees. So you got to get to northwest Minnesota, and that's where you see an awful lot more wheat being planted. All right, next question comes from John. He says, would tiling help my feed yard? Go ahead, Darren. Well, if you've got a drainage issue out there, I don't see why it wouldn't necessarily. However, I'm going to preface it by saying this. When you look at feed yards, they are prone to compaction. You've got cattle in there at all times of the year, and many times it's muddy, and they'll they'll create compaction. We see the same thing out in fields. If we have a high level of soil compaction, it doesn't allow for natural water flow down to those tile lines. So, yes, it could be a help, but... If you if you get a lot of compaction issues out there, which I can't imagine you wouldn't, if you have compaction issues, then your help is going to be a little limited. All right. Next question comes from Tim over also in Minnesota. And oh, I guess that was a couple of questions ago. We had a Minnesota uh, person send in. But anyway, Tim says, uh, hey, thanks for your videos. Uh, do you do lawn soil testing at Ag PhD? I had one done by another lab, and then I called them with some questions, and they basically said I was wasting my time trying to lower my pH. It's at a 7.7, and so I put down 5 pounds per 1,000 square feet. I have a high CEC, uh, and, oh, he says high CEC, but then says 16.7. So we would call that like a medium textured soil. Organic matter is about 3.2. And anyway, he said, this lab told me I'm always going to have high pH because I'm from Minnesota. So I'm learning how to read soil samples. And uh, his uh, last question here is, do you allow people that don't farm to come to your soil clinics? All right, well, first of all, Tim, yes, we do allow people who do not farm to come to our soils clinics. Anybody certainly can, so you're more than welcome to do that. In terms of your soil, though, and the notion that you have to always have a high pH because you're from Minnesota, no, that's absolutely not true. I'd say that's pretty ridiculous nonsense. Uh, the, the big thing is when you have a high pH, a lot of times that's telling you something's out of balance in your soil. So we would like to look at 
your soil test if you've got a complete soil test. Chances are something is missing. So when you say you put some sulfur out there, we do talk quite often about elemental sulfur lowering soil pH, which it can, but we got to look at what's the root cause of the problem. Do you have poor drainage? Do you have excess salt? Do you have a terrible nutrient imbalance? I don't know the answers to those questions because I don't see your soil tests. So I'm just saying if you get things in balance, kind of like we talk about during our soils clinics and here on the radio and on our TV show, get your soils in balance and a lot of times that pH will start to neutralize. Just because you have 7.7 pH also doesn't mean that every crop has to be poor yielding. You can raise some pretty good crops, but you've got to really feed that crop properly. And like I say, over time, if you work on balancing your soils, you should be in pretty good shape. Darren, anything to add to that? Well, let's just say that we find out, all right, um, sulfur would solve the problem. Sulfur would really help us. Like on my own lawn, I'm putting out rates of ammonium sulfate in the range of 10 to 20 pounds per thousand feet, per thousand square feet. That would equate to 500 to 1,000 pounds per acre. Now, I may not put that all out in one shot. I may put several shots out during the year. So maybe three or four times I'm going to put that out. But it's up to you how you want to manage that. It certainly can be done. Starting with a good complete soil test is really important. And like Brian said, maybe in your area you've got a ridiculously high amount of calcium or a ridiculously high amount of magnesium. Those things can be fixed. They can be adjusted over time, and you will have a healthier lawn or a healthier garden. All right, I got another soil test question here. This is from Robert in North Central Iowa. He says, I'm looking at my soil test results, and I want some advice on getting my fertility in line. This is a new field, uh, and it yielded pretty good, but I'm looking for great yields now. Okay, so Darren, I'll just uh, I'll read you this, and you can give me, give me your comments real quick. So pH is 7.3, can exchange capacity 18.9. So both of those things we'd say are pretty good. pH maybe a hair high, but pretty good. Organic matter is 5.9, so that's real good. His phosphorus at 60 on the weak bray and 109 on the strong bray. His base saturation K is 4.8%, magnesium 11%, calcium 84%. Then we get to sulfur, and here's the first issue, uh, 12 parts per million is all. His zinc, Darren, is clear up at 16.8, manganese only at 9 Iron is 69 parts per million, copper 1.5 parts per million, and boron 0.8 parts per million. Got any thoughts other than obviously to begin with, first thing that's really lacking is sulfur. You know, I, I look at I look at this. We we talk about balance in the soil all the time. There's a lot of pieces here that are good. There are some that, you know what? We don't have to spend any more money on that for a while, like iron. You don't have to spend any more money on iron for a while. You need to put those micronutrient dollars into boron and manganese. That would be great. Uh, yeah, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money on phosphorus this year, but you do have to spend money building up that sulfur a little bit for this year's crop. Yeah, so don't... That's don't the way I look at it. Just get a few things out of balance. Yeah, don't neglect that phosphorus, though. I would still put all the phosphorus on I need for this year and try to maintain those levels. Sure. I'd bump my K just a little bit. Boron, absolutely low. Copper, we'd like to get that two parts per million plus. Manganese is low. Sulfur is low. All right, uh, thanks for that question, Robert. Appreciate that. Before we go, just want to say thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. Thanks to our production staff. Got our sister Janelle running the controls today. Appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>